All right, I want you to turn in, the, in your Bible, if you would. I'm going to look uh, at Matthew chapter 14. And this is our second in this series on the generous life. And by God's grace, there's just a, a few things I'm going to catch you up uh, on just a little bit from last week just to bring you along in case you happened to miss last week so you know where we are and then today I just want to tell a, just a couple of narratives out of the scriptures that I think will bring out this point probably much better than what I could say it uh, with words but if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 14 verse 13 through 21 is where I want to read and it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 which I'm sure you're very familiar with and, and uh, if you've been been going to church or any length of time or have read through the gospels now when Jesus heard this he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself but when the crowds heard it they followed him on foot from the towns when he went ashore he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick and when it was evening the disciples came to him and said this is a desolate place And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And if you you know, this wasn't even their fish. And it wasn't even their bread. They say, we only have the little boy had it we didn't have nothing verse 18 and he said bring them here to me then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish he looked up to heaven and said a blessing then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces of pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children can you say amen I don't want to spend a whole lot of time uh, introducing uh, this again uh, in the sense of dealing with the generous life but we are speaking of the fact of what we believe is the heart of God for us as a people based on the fact of what God has done for us I think those of you that have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and have Christ living in you, you you recognize without a whole lot of work and effort that generosity is part of your DNA, that it's it's part of you because it comes we we are now in the body of Christ. We now have the spirit of God living in us. And the spirit of God that's living in us is a generous spirit. God is a giving God. Am I, y'all right there? You've recovered from that tryptophan, got some of y'all. You're still napping on me from that turkey. But but, but God is a God that gives. It's rooted in in the very salvation that we have. The scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only. And sometimes I think we we pass that up, but only begotten son, monogenous, the only son of his kind. He gave him up 
so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That's part of who we are. That DNA is one of generosity. And because of God is a generous God, then we live a life of expectation. It's, it's not, uh, you can find so many verses in the Bible, and we'll talk about one today, where the scripture says, fear not, or don't be afraid, or be of good courage. Uh, we, we see verses in the Bible that tells us not to be anxious and not to worry. And those because we can live with a sense of expectation because of the God that we have that's living in us. We're on the winning side, church. We win. When this is all said and done, it absolutely ends good. There is no bad ending for no one who lives in the body of Christ. There is no bad ending. It all ends good. And so because of that expectation and because that God has promised us generosity in all our life, Romans 8.31 talks about God is for us, so who can be against us? And since he gave up the life of his own son, will he not give us all things that pertain to life? And so we live with generosity. We live in expectation because we have a God who can do over and beyond everything that we can ask or think. And so the scripture talks about the heart of the people of God, and it talks about the principles. Two verses I'll give you from last week, and I'll move on to where I'm headed. One is Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. It says, give freely and become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will be themselves be refreshed. I dealt with the disclaimers last week. I I hope I don't have to spend too much time on it. By no means is the scripture proclaiming that everybody's going to be wealthy if you if you are a, a believer in the body of Christ. What it does what it does say though to us that everyone in Christ has a prosperous life. Remember Jesus says he came to give us life and that more abundantly. Abundant life is not just measured in money alone. Let me tell you something. I will take peace and I will take hope, and I'll take sanity over any money that you can give me. Abundant life and a prosperous life comes out of that heart of generosity. And what the Lord is saying here in Proverbs 11 is when you give out of you, the substance of you, whether it be money, whether it be time, whether it be kind words, then it says all of that just comes back and refresh you so you live in a cycle of being blessed by the Lord. Can you say amen? And then 2 Corinthians 9, this one's a little bit longer, but you see the principle, especially living in an ag community. Listen to this. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Can you say amen? 
And so the big idea of this is that when we, when we trust in the Lord and, and determine that we're going to live a life that trusts in him, we, we don't live with a scarcity mindset, but we live with a mindset of sufficiency, that God always provides everything that we need, not because of us alone, because of sufficiency in God and a trust in God. One of my friends, Mark Strong, he passes the church in Portland, Oregon, and this was, he shared this story, but it was years ago when his church was much smaller. And it was the first time that his church was going to engage on, in doing Thanksgiving boxes uh, for their neighborhood. And he said that he put, put the vision out to the church. It was something new to them. And he says, unfortunately, uh, most of the people in his congregation were, were people that actually had needs of Thanksgiving boxes. So he's putting out this need to a group of folks who honestly, he's, he came to conclude, most of them had needs themselves. So for them to be able to give uh, so that we can provide for others in the community, he said it was a little lacking. He knew that the total amount that he needed to do what they wanted to do was about 2000 And I don't remember all of the details, but it seemed like when it was uh, the week before it was time to do the boxes, he said we might have brought in 300 or 330. I'll just use a, a figure of that nature. But he went up to meet with uh, Pastor Wendell Smith up in Seattle, and it was a Wednesday night. It was a Wednesday night service. They'd done whatever they needed to meet, and then he went, uh, they'd done an altar call after Wendell preached that day. And uh, he went up just for prayer because he was asking God for what they needed. And he said he had made a determination, even though he knew they didn't have enough of what came in, he knew that God was a God that was able to provide. So he made no direction. They were supposed to pr- get the stuff bought on a Friday, pack those boxes on, a, on sorry, uh, get the stuff bought on, a, yeah, I think it was that Friday, pack those boxes on the weekend and get ready to deliver them that next Thursday. And so he didn't want to change anything. He just believed that God would provide. Sure enough, he said he went to the altar that night, prayed, and he said the spirit of God just overwhelmed him during the time of worship. So he just laid on the ground before the Lord. And he said he felt people coming up to him. He thought people was touching him to pray for him. But he says when he got up, he looked around, and there was money all around him to the tune of $2,000, exactly what he needed to take care of the boxes. But, but he used that story to say uh, he was illustrating that, you know, we, when we have a scarcity mindset, then there is not necessarily an expectation from God. But when we have a sufficiency mindset, knowing that God is sufficient, then we'll always see God provide everything that's needed. Am I talking to the right church? We started out with this verse today. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. How many of you here can say the Lord is your shepherd? The Lord is your shepherd. And this is what the promise God says. If the Lord is your shepherd, you have everything you need. I want to tell you a a narrative. It's in 1 Kings. And it's chapter 17. And here is we have the first introduction of a prophet by the name of Elijah. First time he's introduced in the scripture. And he is sent by God. His, his name means God is Yahweh or my God is Yahweh or my God is Lord. But he's sent to prophesy to the nation at a time when Ahab is the king. Ahab was an evil man. Ahab had an evil wife named Jezebel. They were leading the nation into all kind of greed They were leading the nation in in debauchery. Uh, They were leading the nation in evil. 
But one of the things that was most noted of them is they were leading the nation to follow after a false god by the name of Baal. Now, Elijah is sent to the nation at this time. And it had been six months since it had rained uh, during the time in the land. And their, their land, their region is just like in Yuma. Uh, we need water. The, the blessed thing about Yuma, which many of you know this, that rain for us is not so much a need because of our irrigation system here. Farmers can survive in Yuma without rain, although we need some water to make sure the rivers are filled up, etc. because of our irrigation system. But in a lot of areas that you know, if they don't get no rain, they hit a drought. That's, that's just the way it is. They don't have the same ability, don't have the same uh, irrigation system we have, the same uh, ability to draw off the river from the, with the canals, etc., etc. But in that region, just like in many regions, no rain meant no crops. And I, you might remember when I'd done the message on dig it up, when I took the little animal and stuffed it in, the, in, the, in that little water, uh, that I talked about whoever has the wells, whoever has the water, has the crops, has the produce. Whoever has the water has the wealth. If you don't have the water, you can't produce. You can't feed your livestock. You can't produce your crop. So this is a desperate situation. It's been six months. And God sends, the, sends Elijah during this time. Yet Ahab is pushing the people more and more to go to Baal. There's a reason why he's pushing the people more and more to cry out to Baal. Because Baal is the God of fertility. Baal is the God of water. And Baal is the God of bread. So this is Ahab's thought. The more we please Baal, then sooner or later this drought would break and we'll have water and we'll have bread. That's the mindset of Ahab. We just keep going to, to Baal. Baal will do this for us. God sends Elijah in the middle of that. And this is what he tells the people, that it's not going to rain for three more years. Three more years. Now, I want you to hear this. Baal means God of water. God of bread, God of fertility. Elijah means Yahweh is my God. So he comes in, the man who has the knowledge and the understanding that Yahweh is my God, he steps right into the territory where they're saying Baal is the God that they need. Are y'all following the picture? And he declares in the middle of that, it will not rain for three more years. But this is what he tells Elijah. And this is the the great thing about God. In the middle of any trials that we may have or in the middle of any situations, all we got to do is keep being obedient to the Lord. He will always take care of his people. Look at your neighbor and say, he's got your back. He has got your back. He will always take care of his people. So even during the drought, the Lord tells Elijah, he says, declare it about the, about the drought. And then I want you to go to the brook. And I want you to live by the brook. Not only will you have water there for a period of time, but I'm going to have some ravens come and feed you food. Now, anybody knows anything about ravens? Ravens ain't thinking about feeding you. Ravens like meat for themselves. As a matter of fact, what ravens do, ravens will sometimes even distract other animals when they see carcass. They'll have one raven distract an animal while they go and take the food that the other, that the other animals might be eating. And they take the food and they actually store it away because ravens like to have meat. They want to keep eating meat, so they store it away. Ravens ain't thinking about feeding you. Ravens ain't thinking about feeding people. Ravens ain't thinking about feeding Elijah. But this is what the Lord said. The Lord said, I'm going to send the ravens 
to feed you. I'm going to send the ravens to feed you. So Elijah's right there by the water brook, and he's there for a period of time until the water brook now dries up because the drought has taken almost the period of time. But this is what he tells Elijah to do. He says, I want you to go and see, and see a woman, a widow lady, and I want you to go to the land of Sidon. Interesting place because this lady, Zarephath, the widow of Zarephath, that's where she lives near the city of Sidon. Sidon was the headquarters of Baal. He says, I want you to go there and I want you to see this widow woman and that widow woman is gonna provide for you. So Eliza shows up and when he gets to the gate, the scripture says there is the widow woman there at the gate picking up some sticks or, or something of that nature. And Elijah says to her, can you bring me a drink of water? Now, I don't want you to think Elijah was being rude. This, Elijah didn't know the woman. The woman didn't know Elijah, but that's just kind of a, a common courtesy and a custom. So he says, will you bring me a drink of water? As the lady, she said, sure. As the lady goes to get him a drink of water, he says, as a matter of fact, why don't you make me some bread, some food, and bring me some bread also with the water? And the woman says, sir, listen, I am out here collecting sticks right now. We've been in a drought. I'm out here collecting sticks right now. I'm going to go in there and I have a, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to prepare a meal for my son. Let me read what she says. And she said, as the Lord God, this is verse number 12, your, your God lives. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself, listen to this, and my son that we may eat and die. That's her mindset because there's, there's drought in the land. There's no more food. There's no more water. I'm going to do everything I can, me and my son, and we're going to die. Listen to what Elijah said. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, look at the arrogance of this prophet. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and for your son. But here it is. For the Lord God says, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Listen to what Elijah's saying. Elijah's saying, I get it, but, 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 but dear, my dear widow lady, I know you got you and your son, but watch God make a miracle out of you. Because God wants to show when we obey him and faithfulness and get away from the fearfulness that God will not provide and do what God asks us to do, commands us to do, tells us to do, we're always walking in the place of his provision and his sufficiency. Am I talking to the right church? So he moves her up in a faith level to say, go do what you're going to do, but bring it to me first. And then you'll be able to feed your son. Now notice already he's given her a prophetic word because she said, I just got enough to make something for me and him. He said, no, you bring it to me first and then you'll be able to feed you and your son. She went and did as Elijah said and she and he, her and her household, listen to this, ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke. Can you say amen? He told her, don't fear. You don't need to live in fear. My God, the Lord who is my God, in the face of Baal, who people are calling out to provide for, they won't be provided for, but my God will provide for you because he's a God of sufficiency.
Jehovah Jireh. He's a God of provision. And oftentimes what we do in our life is we get camped out in a scarcity mindset. The mindset that she could have rested in, that I just got enough for us and then we're going to die. But you always get more than enough. And let me tell you something. The enemy knows our weak spots. He will always come in and say, man, you're not going to have enough to take care of your children. Not going to have enough to retire. How are you going to provide for your families? How are you going to get another vehicle? How are you going to, how are you going to, how are you going to, how are you going to? The enemy is always the how are you going to guy. But God is the God that says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. He's not a how are you going to, he will. And even in uncertain times, whenever the enemy tries to prey on you, just obedient be obedient to the Lord God Almighty and I'm telling you the word is sure over and over again that he will provide Chip Ingram is a pastor that and he's he's on the radio so some of you may hear him from time to time he told a story recently about him when him and his wife were newly married they were living next door to a a a woman who had been abandoned by her husband and they had I don't know if it was one two maybe three children and they were trying to develop a relationship with her to bring her to a faith in Christ. And one of their times of meeting, she shared that she didn't have enough money to take care of her rent or something of that nature. And, and, uh, and they prayed about it, prayed for that God will provide. And uh, Chip's wife shared with him that she thought that they were supposed to, that God was going to use them to do it, to provide it. And he, was, he took care of the bills and he says, well, actually, if we do that, we'll have like $30 left and won't have enough for, for our own. But they kept praying about it and really felt like the Lord told them to do it. So they did it, uh, took care of her rent for, for the, the, the single mom and the children. He said it was three days before their rent was due. They were just believing God that he would take care of it. And he said he got an, a letter in the mail and it was from a student that he had taught uh, three years prior at a school or a, a Christian school or a, a camp or a mission or something that was really overwhelmingly blessed by the things that he had learned. He had followed the way of Christ, was uh, living a life of discipleship. And in there was a check to bless them that was just enough they needed to pay for their own rent. Now, let me tell you something. You know how many t- I could stand here from now till about, let's just say midnight, and tell you story after story after story like that. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at folks that got those same kind of stories that God does that for. Now, can I tell you something? That's no accident. God is not a God that accidentally got a big old treasure chest in heaven and then trips over something and it falls down to earth. Oh, shoot, I didn't mean for that to fall. That's not the kind of God we serve. As a matter of fact, God says that everything good comes from above, from the Father of lights. He's a God that constantly blesses us and constantly does whatever is needed so that his people may live in a place of peace and a place of hope and a place of joy. But we can hit that scarcity mindset with a fear of not having enough and a fear of not doing things. And I've done some reading on this, probably more than I wanted to read. I don't like reading a whole bunch of psychologists and all that, but I wanted to read a little bit about what the scarcity mindset done to people. And I won't go into a whole lot of study, but this is what I will tell you. And then I realize I see that all the time. That when you have a scarcity mindset, you become very myopic. The only thing that's an issue to you is the fear and the concern you have that's in front of you of not being able to do or not having enough. I read three different studies and they all showed the same thing. 
that when people get so overwhelmed and concerned about what's in front of them that's causing the most fear, they neglect the things that are more important. They neglect good parenting with their children and paying attention to how their children are doing in school because they're gripped by the fear and what's in front of them of not being able to do or not having enough. Studies went on to say that people even neglect taking their medication. They, they neglect to take care of themselves physically. They neglect the, 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 the day-to-day things that make life more productive, even future thinking, because they're gripped with a scarcity mindset. Let me tell you something, church. You need to break that. If that's part of where you are, you need to break it. There is nothing in front of you that's so insurmountable that you don't have a God that can overcome it. There's nothing in front of you that's so insurmountable that the things that are the most important, like loving your family and caring for the things of your own physical body and looking forward to what God is going to do in the future, those things are much more important on whether you're going to be able to pay rent, whether you're going to be able to pay for this car, whether you're going to be able to spend more money for Christmas. That's little stuff that God can take care of just like that. Don't have a scarcity mindset where you get caught up in that trap and miss the whole things of life, which is enjoying the love of God, the love of people, and the love of serving him. Am I talking to the right church? We can get into the mindset like we see in Matthew 25 where the servant said that uh, he wanted to bless his, the folks that was with him or under him, and he gave them all different kinds of gifts, one ten-talent, one five-talent, one one-talent. And the ten-talent guy, he went out and reproduced. He did it with joy, and he told him you were going to go into the joy of the Lord. The five-talent guy went and reproduced because he was also did it with joy. But the one-talent guy, because of fear, because of a scarcity mindset, the scripture said that he buried it. And when it was time for him to declare what he had done for the one that he was working for, the master, he said, because of my fear, this is what I did. And what did the master say? Because you've done this, even that will be taken away. And then he told him to be cast into a place of darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's never a time in our life where God wants us to live in fear. Never a time where God wants us to live in a a scarcity mindset. God sows generously in our life, and so we ought to be the people of God that sow generously back into the lives of others. You know, I've been reading the Bible for a long time. And, of course, I love reading about Jesus. I love reading the Gospels. And you can, read, you can read in there about Jesus healing. You can, read G, you can read stories of all the different miracles Jesus did, meeting people's physical needs. In all four of the Gospels, you can read different stories. But you know there's only one story in the Bible, in the Gospels, that's in all four of them. And that's Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's the only one that's in all four Gospels. And you might remember this. We, we turn to it. You might remember the story. This was immediately after John the Baptist had been beheaded. That was his cousin on the one hand. But Jesus also knew that if John is gone, then my time is not far away. So the scripture says he went into a solitude place. He retreated. Even in, in his time of sorrow and grief, the scripture says that he was still showing compassion and healing people and showing love to the people. But then the people gathered around and they found out where he was. They started gathering him around, around him. And as we read in the story, Jesus taught. It was getting late in the day. And they said, you know, Jesus, it's late. Why don't we just let the people go? 
And Jesus said to him, he's, well, they said, this is a remote place. It's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go get themselves some food. Jesus said, it's not necessary. We can feed them. Now, I've already told you that they didn't even have that. You have to look at one of the other gospels, either Luke or, or Mark, that tells you that one of them said, man, all that's here is a boy's lunch. Just, just that's, all, that, that's all we got, five loaves of bread and two fish. The interesting thing is John talks about this, and this is what John says because he turned to Philip. Jesus soon saw a crowd of people, this is John 6, coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he says, where can we buy food, bread, sorry, to feed all these people? He was testing Philip. For he already knew what he was going to do. I sure hope you don't miss that. Because sometimes when we in the middle of despair, we serve a God who already knows what he's going to do. We don't serve a God that does anything by accident. And we serve a God who knows all things. And so when I'm sitting around worrying about what to do, I got a God that's sitting on the throne saying, why are you worrying? I got this worked out. If I needed you to work it out, I'd have turned it over to you. But since I'm the God of the planet and everything belongs to me, I ain't asking you to worry about it. I got this. Turn to your neighbor again and say, God got this. He knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, listen to Philip. Now he's talking to Jesus. This always gets me about these fellas, but I know I'm a smart mouth. I probably would have done the same thing. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed these people. Then Andrew, Simon's brother, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up and said, there's a young boy here, five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with such a huge crowd? What good is that, Jesus? And the scripture says this, Jesus wanted them to see how they're living in this mindset of this, of this fear that they may have and and honestly, also a mindset of not really knowing who he is. They're not really, they're not, they haven't got it yet. That he's a God that provides. He's a God that cares for us. He's a God that relieves us of worry and doubt and fear. He relieves us of that. This is the same Jesus that they saw open up blinded eyes. This is the same Jesus they saw raise people from the dead. And they're worried about feeding 5,000 people? Big, big deal, I would say. 5,000, if every one of them had a wife, every one of them had a child, maybe 15,000 people. I would say, yeah, a little bit more than what we do for the Martin Luther King thing. But if we had to do it, we could because Jesus will take our little bread and bless us. They've seen all of these things happen, seen people recover from leprosy. And here's 15,000 people with their bellies growling. And Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He says, bring, bring them here to me. Bring me the five loaves of bread and bring me the two fish. And I don't want you to miss this because here's the heart of the message. And here is where we have absolute confidence and sufficiency. I can tell you more stories. And I can even go back and spend more time with Zarephath, the widow. And there's all kinds of stories like that, even in the Old Testament. But we're talking about serving the Christ. And I don't want you to miss this because this is what Jesus did. The scripture says, Jesus, he took the five loaves of bread and the two fish. Watch this. And he looked up toward heaven. 
he blessed it and then he broke it and then he gave it out watch this not just this time Jesus did this five times in the gospel five times he took it he looked up to heaven he blessed it he broke it and he passed it out he took it he blessed it he broke it and he gave it out are y'all catching this he took it what was the boy thought was his Jesus took it what you thought was yours if you give it to Jesus he blesses it he looks up toward heaven he blesses he breaks it and he gives it out we want to hold on to our stuff because we're afraid to use it and Jesus said give it to me I'm going to take it I'm going to bless it I'm going to break it and I'm going to give it back out Jesus is the one that does that time and time again and not only do you get back what you give him 12 baskets they collected. Now, you might have missed that, but the last time I counted, it was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 disciples. 12 disciples who sitting there looking at Jesus and thinking, finally, we got him. He's a lunatic indeed. This dude think he's going to take these five loaves of bread and these two fish and feed these 15,000 people. And Jesus said, watch this. Not only am I going to do it by taking it and blessing it and breaking it and giving it out, but you take a basket home and you tell your family, look what the Lord has. Woo! Look what the Lord has done. That's the God that we serve. He's a God that takes us from scarcity to sufficiency. I'm going to give you one more verse and I'm going to let you go. It's Luke team. You can come. You can stand for this one. Luke 6 verse 38. Listen to what the scripture says. Knowing that we got a God who take it, who bless it, who break it. He'll multiply it every time and he'll give it back. Listen, here's a verse you can live by. Give away your life. Maybe I should stop there for just a moment. See, because you thought this was all about money. This ain't all about money. Because here's the deal. When Jesus died on the cross and proclaimed your forgiveness of sins by his death on the cross, and you stood at this altar, or you stood wherever you were, and you say, Jesus, that my life is in the hands of Jesus, you just gave your life away. You gave it to the master. And Jesus is saying, since I have your life, why are you trying to hold on to it and shape it and mold it the way you want it when it don't belong to you anyway? At least that's what you told me. I mean, you told me in growth track when you gave me your testimony that you said, my life belongs to the Lord. That's what you said. If that's what you said, then give your life away. And listen to this. You'll find your life given back, but not merely given back, given back with bonus. Some of y'all work on jobs. Now, let me just tell you about preachers. I'm the one trying to lobby the union so preachers can have that double dipping deal. You know, where we step out and retire and come back. And so y'all, I don't know nothing about bonuses, but y'all, I just threw that in. Y'all forgive me. But some of y'all know about bonuses. Bonuses usually always come at a good time. They always a little bit extra. Listen to what it says. But not merely giving back. Giving back with bonus 
and say this with me. Blessing, shout it out. Blessing. Giving, not getting is the way. Generosity begets generosity. This is our life. This is our life given to the master who's taken your life and mine. He's blessing it. He's breaking it. And he's giving it away. Let's just follow the spirit of God and live with a mindset of sufficiency. Father, I thank you for being an awesome and amazing God. We can read these verses over and over again and and they speak to us. But Lord, I'm asking that this one really gets down in us. Speak to us, Lord. Let us come to a place of trust. Let us come to a place of living without fear. Let us come to a place, Lord God, of not having a scarcity mindset, but sufficiency, knowing we have a God who calls down rain, a God who gives good gifts, a God in whose life we have, whose hands we've trusted our life. Lord, I pray that you break the spirit of fear upon the people of God. Those that are afraid to tithe, I pray that that spirit of fear be broken in the name of Jesus. Those that are afraid to give liberally when the Lord speaks upon their heart, I pray it's broken in the name of Jesus. Those that are afraid, Lord God, to give love or, or, or to share hope, or Lord, to come along somebody to bring help them through a peaceful, to a peaceful situation, I pray that fear is broken in the name of Jesus. Lord, let us live in the mindset that God gives us. He refreshes us. Everything that we refresh others with, you refresh us back. Lord, I pray that we would experience the life of abundancy that you promised every one of us in all manners that you have determined that to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now the altars are going to be open. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come because we, we do want to go into a song of worship, give you an opportunity to respond to the message. And it might be just standing where you are worshiping. It may, you may come for prayer. I'm going to tell you, there is a, there is a spirit of healing in this house. There's a spirit of healing in this house. And I'm telling you, you can believe and come with expectation. And I know there's a spirit of salvation and liberty because we trust in the power of the cross. And we're all witnesses of the great and mighty and awesome God. And so I'm just encouraging, whatever you need, you can come. People of God will pray with you. They'll love on you. We need some more help over here. Don, maybe can you come help? Monty and Holly, can you just come help pray for some folks on this side? And we're just going to believe God to do some great and awesome things, whatever it is. Those of you that may not be coming forward, let's just worship the Lord. We'll do one song and then you'll be dismissed and able to spend more time with your family. God bless you. Let's have a great day in the Lord. Amen.